Hey, hey, Porch, how we doing? Yeah. It's great to be here with my friends in Dallas and Fort Worth and spread out all over Texas and the Southwest and every other place you're listening. We know around the globe and overseas. You're tracking with us. My name is Todd. I love when I get to jump in with you guys. And we are going to just this week take a little bit of time looking at a section of God's Word that has really, really been useful in my life. I often get asked the question, man, what's your favorite book of the Bible, right? And uh, so for me, if I had to be honest, it really is, and I say this all the time, it's whatever book I'm studying because there's always more there than I think. I mean, books that I've been around for a long time, when I really begin to just sit on them and study and reflect and ask questions, man, I always see so much truth that I, I either missed the first time or just forgot was there. So whatever book I'm spending the most time in, at any given time when I'm teaching through some series at Watermark or wherever it might be, that becomes my favorite book. But if I had to just say this one book that has been the most useful in my life, not in order to help me understand my own sin and my own need for Jesus, but a book that has changed me more than any other book in the Bible, it would be a book called Proverbs. And it's a book that is written for idiots like me of a very short attention span because it kind of you know, just speaks to you in jabs and quick punches and little pithy statements. This is the way the book of Proverbs starts. Listen to this. This is chapter one of a collection of wisdom sayings. Okay, now wisdom, all wisdom is, is knowledge wrapped up um, in understanding, which is to say a life that takes truth and rightly applies it is a life that's marked by wisdom. This is what it says. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, who if you know the story about Solomon, he could ask God whatever he wanted, and what he asked for was that he would have wisdom, that he would not just know things, because here's the deal, right? Most of you guys know more than you're applying to your life already. Look, we all know what we're supposed to eat if we wanna feel like and look like we wanna feel like and look like. But that doesn't mean we always eat that way, exercise that way. We all know a lot of times what's good for us, and we just don't apply it correctly to our lives. And so what Solomon asked for was wisdom. He just didn't want just intellectual understanding. He wanted intellectual truth applied. And so he says this, this is why I wrote this. So this is why this has been a book that's good for me. To know wisdom and instruction, that you might know wisdom, and you might be instructed, you might discern the sayings of understanding so that you can receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, so you won't screw your life up. So you won't have more scars than joy. It'll give you prudence. It doesn't say it'll make you a prude. It says it'll give you prudence, which means wise living, the ability to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And then it says a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. You'll understand a proverb and a figure, the words of their wise and their riddles, because sometimes when you read this, it doesn't quite make sense. You're like, what's that mean? I gotta, I gotta pick the lock on that. And all through Proverbs, you're gonna find out what God's trying to do because he's a loving father. And see, I didn't know that for a long time. This was my view of God, that everything I wanted to do, he was gonna say, get your hands off that. And everything I didn't want to do, he was like, get out of bed, let's go. And I was like, really? I mean, I don't think that's what I want. And it was because I made God in my own image. I never really stopped and asked God who God was. I never listened to what God said he was. I never let him reveal himself to me. This book is revelation. It's showing me what I otherwise wouldn't know. Because even though I'm made in God's image, I've left him, and so what I usually do in my broken and fallen state is I make God in my image. And God's not broken. God's not selfish, and God's not impetuous. And God's not controlling. He's sovereign. And he loves me. And he loves you. So we put together this amazing book. Listen, listen to these little pleadings. This is Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 17. He just says this. This is, this is a loving father, and he's just begging you to just tune in. He's saying, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Because I'm not looking to rip you off. I'm looking to set you free and apply your mind to my knowledge because I love you. It will be pleasant if you keep them within you. See, let me just tell you something. If when you think of following God, if you don't think of pleasant and good things, then you have been deceived, just like I was for a long time. 
That's what, the, that's what the deceiver is. He's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. And he always wants you to believe that God's not good, his word's not true, and disobeying him is not gonna cost you that much. So listen to this pleading. So that you may trust the Lord, the Lord who is slow to anger, bounding in loving kindness, compassionate, gracious, full of grace and truth. He says, I taught you today, even today, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge so that you might know with certainty the words of truth Jesus says it's the truth that's gonna set you free and it's gonna break you out of this rut that we always get ourselves into. Now here's what I wanna do. I wanna read to you not just a proverb by itself, but every now and then there's groupings and there's a group of proverbs that are together and then what I wanna teach you to do is how to read your Bible in a way that's gonna make it meaningful to you, okay? So, so the proverb, the little section of proverbs that I want you to get with me tonight and learn from, one that's been really helpful to me, is found in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34, okay? Now just hang with me, here we go, I'm gonna just pray. Father, man, if there's truth, if you're good and you love us, and there's something you want us to see, would you just show it to us tonight, wherever we're at, whether we're just trying to figure out who you are for the first time or whether we've known you for a while and wanna learn to love you more so we will love that which will lead to life indeed, would you just show it to us? I thank you that the way you describe yourself, if we would listen, is as a loving father who has our best interests in mind. And so we don't have to figure this thing out. You just say, come here, let me, are you, are you weary? Are you heavy, heavy laden? Are you burdened? Then just come, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so Father, some of us are hungry, our soul is starved. And we're gonna knock tonight on the door of your grace. And you tell us, if we knock on that door, that you're gonna open it and you're gonna invite us in. And we're going to dine with you and we're going to feast. It's going to make it better for us. Lord, we just acknowledge that we've been lied to a lot. We think that you're sometimes oppressive and controlling and that all you want to do is slap our hands. And we realize when we look at your word and see who you've been through history that we're just victims of a lie. And so help us see truth tonight. Teach us. Make us wise sons and daughters who learn from you. Amen. All right, now check this out. This is a, a little section of Proverbs. It's unusual because it, it's, it's really a story. And, and what he's trying to show you in this story is, is some things that if you'll just pay attention to it, your loving father wants you to learn from. So I'm gonna read it to you all. This is Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. It says, I pass by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of a man who lacked sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, the, the sluggard's vineyard and field, its surface was covered with nettles and its stone walls were broken down. When I saw, when I reflected upon it, I looked, I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and then your poverty will come upon you like a robber and your want like an armed man. Okay, now look. You read something like that, and let's just say for just a second, you're gonna go, okay, Lord, teach me something, and you read that little story, and you're like, what gives? Right, that, that's the thing you want me to be encouraged by? How can I learn from that? Okay, now here's how. Whenever you read your Bible, you wanna just stop, okay, and you wanna just start to make some basic observations, and then from those observations, you wanna go, okay, now I've seen these things, what am I supposed to learn from things that I've seen, and how can I apply them to my life? It's just a simple thing called observation, interpretation, application. And so when you read a story like that, you gotta go, okay, what's there? What's he want me to see, okay? And so what he's telling you is that this guy is walking through life, okay? And as he walks through life, he is observing things in other people. Can I just tell you something? This is a fact. Every single person you meet is either a wonderful example or their life serves as a horrible warning. They're one of two things. In some way, every man is your teacher. Everybody you meet is a teacher. I sometimes, you know, when I'm around people, they go, man, I don't like my coach. I don't like my teacher. I don't like my boss. And I go, well, then learn from them because you're going to be a boss one day. You're going to be a dad one day. You're going to be a husband one day. You're going to be a friend. And so if that friend is, is bothering you and badgering you, learn from them. Go, I don't want to do that. And all he's just saying is this. Here, here's the very first thing I want you to get out of what we're doing right now. And that is just this little statement. And that is that experience, experience is a good teacher, but it's a very expensive one. Because experience, right, experience is, um, while it teaches you in an amazing way, 
it often gives you the final exam before the very first lesson, right? I mean, right, you can learn that mines blow you up and cause you to lose your leg by stepping on a mine. You've learned that, right? As well as anybody has learned that, you know you don't want to step on a landmine. But that's a very expensive way to learn that you don't go stepping on landmines. Some of you um, have learned a very expensive lesson that when a guy says he loves you and if you love him, you'd share yourself with him and that he'll always be there and you're a single mom. You have learned that guys say whatever they need to say to get whatever they want sometimes and you know that you can't always trust a man in the heat of a moment and you've learned that and you've learned it in a very expensive way. Some of you guys have learned from Planned Parenthood that it's not just a small procedure with no lasting consequences. You know that that's a lie. You know that this Mother's Day, when it comes around, that there should be a life that, that should be looking at you with loving eyes and be grateful for you, and you won't, and it's gonna haunt you on Mother's Day. You've learned that it's a lie, that it's just a clump of cells that's not a life inside of you, and you've learned it in a very expensive way. And God just, God just wants you to know that, that, that there's a better way to go about learning things. The trouble with using experience as a guide as again, as I said, is that sometimes you get tested before you get instructed. But we say this all the time, right? Experience is the best teacher. Nothing beats experience. Yes, something beats experience. Do you know what beats experience? It learn, beat, what beats experience is learning from other people's experiences so you don't have to step on a landmine, have a child out of wedlock, or have a child taken out of your womb and realize that there's more truth than you were told. So a, a wise guy said this a long time ago, and that, that is that, um, that wise men learn more from fools than fools learn from wise men. Because while wise men will learn from the follies of fools, fools will not learn from the wisdom of the wise. Can I say that to you again? Wise men learn more from fools than fools do from wise men. That, that, doesn't that seem backwards? Like if you're a fool, you're like, man, let's watch this guy's life. And what the truth is, is fools never learn from wise men. They only learn when they get beaten to death. In fact, this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10. This is just a wisdom principle that is true. And it says this, a rebuke, which is a simple admonishment. Like, bro, I wouldn't go there. Don't do that. It's not going to go well with you. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows to a fool. Because a fool continually thinks like, well, that didn't work out that time, but I'm gonna kinda, I'll do it again, right? It's like, you know, it's like the guy, um, you can tell this joke a thousand ways. I was just with a couple of guys that were in special forces. They were both in special forces, one kind of in the naval branch, one in the army branch. So a Navy, I was with a Navy SEAL and with a Ranger. And they're always jacking with each other, right? And, and the guy told a story, he just said this, he's like, you know, um, there was a, a Navy SEAL and a Ranger that were together, okay? And often you hear this like with a Marine and a guy who's the infantry, right? So I, however you want to tell it. You can tell it um, like the normal world and Aggies. So just anything like that, right? Two different people. So let's just, so let's just tell it that way, right? So um, there's a guy standing there next to his Aggie friend. And, um, and, and they're sitting there and there's a guy, they're watching TV and there's a guy on a roof, right? And he's, he's looking to jump and commit suicide. And so... Um, the two guys are watching it, and they're leaning in there like, oh, my gosh. You know? And the one guy leans over and goes, I bet you 20 bucks. The guy jumps. And the friend saw you know, that they were getting people all in place to talk to him. There's folks on bullhorns. They were trying to get a net, and the guy looks at him, and he assessed it. He goes, no. He goes, I'll take that bet. He won't jump. And then sure enough, man, the guy jumped about three minutes later. And so the guy reached his pocket, and he slapped down, gave the guy 20, put it in his pocket. And a few minutes later, he leaned over his friend. He said, listen, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't lie to you, bro. Uh, that, that was a replay of the news that happened at noon, right? I knew what happened. I knew the guy jumped, right? And so I want to give you your money back. And the guy goes, no. The Aggie says, no, man, I'm not going to take your money back. He goes, I, I saw the guy jump at noon too. I just didn't think he was stupid enough to do it twice. <laughs> it's funny. Explain it to your friend later, all right? <laughs> your Aggie friend. But sometimes, you know, that's, that's the way it is with a fool, right? That's the way it is with a fool. They keep, they keep doing things like a hundred times 
And if it doesn't kill them, they're gonna just keep going back again and they're gonna think the problem is that the world's unjust somehow. And, and so Proverbs is just saying, man, it's better that you learn a different way. Experience is not the best teacher. Or at the very least, it's a very, very expensive one. This is what the Bible says. Uh, uh, the prudent, this is Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent sees evil and he hides himself. But the naive, the fool, he goes on and he's punished for it. Right? Haven't we all seen people that date bad boys and it not work out well for them? Haven't we all seen people who try and get their validation by other humans and, and, um, and, and find their meaning in fleeting things in the world and it doesn't work out for them? Haven't we all seen people that try and deal with their sorrows with, with drinking and with, with um, drug use or, or with isolation and we go, it doesn't work out well for them? And, and the prudent, they see that and they go, okay, I'm not gonna go that way. But the naive, they just go on, right? That's, that's part of the deceitfulness of sin is that we all think we're gonna be the one that can handle it and go this way that's not gonna really affect us. And so it's just a fact that experience, in a sense, is a good teacher, but it's a very, very expensive one. So a wise man does learn from his mistakes, but a wiser man still learns from the mistakes of others. What this little section of scripture is all about is like, hey, be that wise man and always be looking, always be observing so that what you're gonna see in this story is there's a guy and he's walking by and we, he's gonna discern that's the field of a sluggard. It's the vineyard of a guy who's got no sense. Now watch what happens. As he walks by, this is what he's gonna tell you. He says, it's a field and that field, which is supposed to be a source of life and produce and prosperity, it's overgrown with thistles and it's covered with nettles or with weeds. And then it, doesn't say, it says this, right? It says the walls are broken down. Now why do you have walls around a vineyard? You do it to keep predators out, foxes that'll come in and, and rip off fruit around the tree, but what kind of wall is it? Do you remember, right? What kind of wall is it? Look at your Bible if you've got it. In Proverbs chapter 24, okay? It says right there in verse 31, it's a stone wall. Now how long does it take for a stone wall to fall down? I mean, this isn't a wicked fence that's just leaned up. This is a stone wall. So this is something that has been um, neglected for a long, long time. And so what he's gonna say right here is this. He's gonna say, so when I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked. These words, just talk about it. I glanced at it, but then I stopped, and then I just stood there, and what he was gonna be was a student of somebody else's life and the fruit of it. You guys ever done this? Are you looking at anybody's life and you're kind of going, okay, man, I don't really know what I want to do, but I don't think I want it to go that way. And, and, and vice versa, have you gone, hey, man, look, it looks like there's something there worth following. It looks like there's life indeed there. I might want to be a student of that. But it would be wise if you see a person's life that has thorns and thistles and nestles and is not protected from every whim and fancy and every enemy that comes marauding along then you might want to go, mm, i got to learn from that. This is what he says. He says, as I walked, he goes, I saw this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Now, that's, that's backwards, isn't it? Right? When you go laying down, you don't go sleep, and then you slumber, and then you rest. You usually go, I think I'll just sit down here, I'll fold my hands. And then you kind of go, well, you know, I'll just lean back on the slumber for a little bit and then you move to a sleep. That's the way you would think it would be, but that's not what it says in this proverb, right? So you want to observe this. What's he saying there? When he says a little sleep, a little slumber, and then just a little folding of the hands to rest, and you got trouble. Well, what kind of trouble? It tells you. Poverty. And it comes like a robber. So what's a robber do? You make yourself... Uh, just a simple observation. Well, robbers, when they come, they don't usually pick up the phone and go, hey, I don't know what you're doing tonight. You're on the porch. Good. What time are you taking off? Good. And you'll get home around what time? Awesome. I'm going to drop by around 7.45, 8.15, clean your house out, take your goods, and then be out of there. Robbers don't do that. They come when they're not expected. And you're devastated. And how about an armed man? How's an armed man come. And our man doesn't negotiate with you, right? He'll show up right to your face and you're powerless and defenseless. You have no ability to prevent what's about to happen from happening. And so that life you always wanted, you don't get it. 
Why? Because a little sleep and then a little slumber and a little folding of the hand of the rest and you are completely exposed. Proverbs 29.1 says this. Proverbs 29.1 says, um, he who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Some of you guys have experienced that and some of you are just a little folding of the hands away from it. I mean, you're on the brink. How'd you get there? You got there because for a long time you have been naive, you haven't been prudent, you haven't been paying attention, you have been sowing into your life disobedience and flippancy and arrogance. And here's the deal, you've been kind of getting away with it. And so you think you're gonna keep getting away with it. But what happens, I can remember, you know, um, when I was in college, one of my favorite classes was constitutional law. I was head of the law school, and, um, and so I took con law. And it was a great class because unlike most classes, con law had no midterms, no papers, and no tests. I loved con law in September. It was the best class I had all of October. I didn't have to jack with con law a bit in November. And I slept through it. I put it aside while I did other things that were more pressing. But then all of a sudden, Thanksgiving was over, and I was two weeks away from one exam that was my entire semester. And there had been sleep, and there had been slumber, and now I couldn't do anything but con law. If I so much as folded my hands, I was done. No law school, no head in that direction. You see what happens there? A little sleep, a little slumber, and you've lost all flexibility, man. You're on the brink. Because the smallest variance from perfection is gonna cost you significantly. And what he's saying is, I don't wanna do that. I don't want that to be my story, right? And so, so here's just a simple observation. I've already given you one, you know, which is that um, experience as a good teacher, it's often a very expensive one. Here's just another observation I made, made when I was just looking at this little proverb, and it's just simply this, and that is that a lot of damage can be done a little at a time. A lot of damage can be done just a little bit at a time, and then all of a sudden, these little decisions all add up, and they reap big discretion. Big, uh, big excuse me, big destruction. Big problems. I say to people all the time, when they, when they think they've gotten something for nothing, I go, you haven't gotten something for nothing, you just haven't gotten the bill yet. Right? It's like the guy. And a lot of you guys have done this. This is, again, part of the deceitfulness of sin is that sometimes we do things and we kind of get away with it. And so we become a little more bolder in it and we kind of go, we got away with it. And so we do it again and we got away with it. But all of a sudden we're developing a pattern. And then a broken, impoverished life is going to come like a robber when we never expected it couple of truths. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. This is what the Bible says. The Bible just loves you, and so the Bible's going to tell you the truth, and that's this. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, in other words, because God doesn't strike you with a lightning bolt the first time you cuss, because you don't necessarily get pregnant the first time you cross lines, you get a little bolder in your sin. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore, this is what happens, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. And, and so here's the thing. I, I just will tell you this all the time because I love you. I mean, you sow a thought, and that little thought will eventually reap an action. That action that you sow will eventually reap a habit. That habit that you sow eventually reaps character. And that character that you now have will eventually be your destiny. This is what is called the law of the harvest. And the Bible talks about it. In Galatians chapter 6, this is what it says. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked, man. A man will sow and he will also reap. 
And so you want to be really, really careful with what you're doing. The law of the harvest, right? We say this, I think, here a lot because it's so important because this right now is sowing season in your life. And what happens a lot of times in our, in our 20s, we think, well, I can plant whatever I want. It's not going to really um, cause me a lot of problems. And we're telling you, no, it is. It is. We're telling folks all the time this is true. You're not going to have married problems. You're going to have single people problems that you drag into your future relationship. And so you might as well learn right now to live in a way that's going to make the relationship you dream about work. The law of the harvest is this. You reap what you sow. You put a tomato seed in the ground, you're going to get tomatoes. So you reap what you sow. Secondly, you reap it later than you sow it. You put a tomato seed in the ground, you don't get a tomato tomorrow. You don't get it next week. But eventually you're going to get tomato stalk, tomato plant, and then you're not going to get what? When you, you reap what you sow, you reap it later than you sow it, and you reap more than you sow. This is the law of the harvest. The return in your investment is always there. So one tomato seed, does it give you one tomato seed? Does it give you one tomato? No, it gives you a tomato plant, which gives you multiple tomatoes. That's the law of the harvest. And so a lot of trouble comes a little at time. Now, the inverse is also true, that when you, when you sow things in your life, it's going to produce good things. And what this guy is saying is he's walking by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and he, he's going, I'm going to observe, I'm going to look, I'm going to reflect, I'm going to study, I'm going to make a decision. I don't want my field to look like that. Do you guys do that often? So here's what's so amazing, Right? They don't usually show you the backstory in movies and love scenes. They don't show you the guilt and the sexual disease. They don't show you the unwanted pregnancy. They don't show you the tears. I mean, go watch Juno. Go watch Fatal Attraction. That's, that's the truth about affairs. But those movies, you know, you can make one of those and get away with it, but it's just, it, it's like, you know, it's not what really typically sells. It's like, man, what happened to that one love scene on the elevator? that turned into just horror. And see, here's the thing, God's not mad at you. He just wants to rescue you. He's kind to you. And so he's saying, listen, learn from fools. Wise men learn from their mistakes, but wiser men still learn from the mistakes of others. A lot of damage can be done a little at a time. And this is just true. You know, until it hurts more to stay the same, until it um, hurts to change, most people never change. And so I tell a lot of people this, man, if you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing, but I'm just gonna tell you, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not gonna like what you got. Because while you're over there working in your field and doing the right thing, that sluggard is over there playing Xbox, watching Game of Thrones, throwing a kegger, and it's not a problem the first day he does it, the second day he does it, the third day he does it, other than he's developing a pattern, an action that's gonna turn into a habit, that's gonna turn into a character. It's going to turn into a destiny. And so you just keep doing what you should do. I, I love the story. Like, a, you know, this is the deal. Some people have jumped off like a 100-story building, right? And they're mocking people that, that believe in the law of gravity because, like, when you first jump off a 100-story building, it's like a major adrenaline rush. It's a lot of fun. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Who needs elevators? This is incredible. I've never felt this, you know, free before. But sooner or later, the reality of your experience is going to catch up with you. And I think sometimes you see people free-falling, man. They show you a lot of the free-falling, the fun, the joy, the adrenaline rush. They just don't show you the splat a lot. And what you need to do is you need to walk by splats. And go, how did that guy get here? I don't want my life to end up like that. Some of you guys are in this room tonight, and you're saying, man, how did I get here? When I was um, out with my kids when they were younger a lot, man, whenever we had a chance to engage people that were on the streets, and, and we just never gave them something to make ourselves feel good, but what we would do is we would engage them relationally, and I would just sit there. I'd say, man, tell me your name. You're a person. You got a story. I'd introduce myself. I'd introduce my child. And I would just say, can you do me a favor, man? Just tell me how you got here. And they said the same thing every time. You know what? Everybody, everybody I've ever sat with on the street has told me, you know how I got here? I got here one bad decision at a time. and then another bad decision, and another bad decision, and another bad decision, and here I am. And so there's a way out, we offer it to them, we involved to get involved, offer to get involved in their life, and not just, just 
give them a little band-aid, but to really say, man, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Let's go. Are you, are you, does it hurt more to stay the same than it does to change? And sadly, there's so many people in Dallas who mean well that will offer a handout that really isn't a handout. It's holding them down because it's enabling them in a lifestyle that's not good for them. That a lot of them go, man, this is working for me. I'm making 80 bucks a day working two hours, just hitting the streets. That's enough. And we're stringing them out. But a lot of damage can be done in a little time. I learned that from Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. Experience is a good teacher. It's often a very expensive one. I learned that from Proverbs 20, verses 30 through 34. Because I could be a sluggard. I could let my vineyard be overgrown with thistles and thorns. Here's another one, man. Your soul. Your soul is like a field. And I thought, you know, this, this is not about a vineyard. God's trying to teach me something here. My soul is a field, and I ought to pay attention to it. Because this is gonna lead, the way I lead my life is gonna lead to prosperity, it's gonna lead to blessing, it's gonna lead, lead to, to, in a sense, um, more joy, or I'm gonna have myself more pain. And so one of my favorite verses, it's just true in Proverbs, is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, which says, um, it's, the, it's, the, um, uh, it's the blessing of the Lord which makes rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. I've got one of my kids who now is your age, and she's, 24 years old, and she just said, Dad, can I just tell you something? Because by the grace of God, you, you, you told me what was gonna happen if I lived the life of a sluggard. If you, you, you helped me see what was true about God, and I came to know him at an early age. And she said, Dad, this is the story of my life. I've got more joy and less scars. And that's her testimony. I mean, some of you guys in this room, that's also your testimony. It's amazing. Don't ever think that because you don't have some dramatic story that you didn't show up at the porch smelling like smoke hung over in the back that you can't be used of God. Because the most powerful testimony that God can give you is that early God showed you his kindness and you've got more joy and less scars. Man, that is a testimony that all your days God has walked with you. It's largely David's testimony. And he's worth following. But here's the other thing. If, if, you, if you have got scars, if your field is overthrown with thistles, if your stone walls are broken down, God's just saying, hey, you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then come on, let me rebuild those things. There's grace here. And the only power you have over the past is purity in the present. And let's get busy. But your soul is a field. Pay attention to it. This is what comes after that verse in Galatians 6 we just read. This is Galatians now 6, 8 through 9. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh, in other words, who does what his flesh wants to do. Okay? Our flesh is a part of this world, and this world is broken. The world is broken because this world and everybody in it and the prince of this world, the enemy, is a liar, and we have given ourselves over to him. And so we are descendants of broken people. Therefore, our flesh longs to do what it wants to do and doesn't care what God says and who God is. That's the nature of man. All of us, in and of our nature, go, I want to do what I want to do. But God in his kindness says, that's not going to work out well for you. And anybody who doesn't like the family you were born into, I will rescue you. Did you hear that? Even you People who are born into a family where somebody like me is gonna teach you that it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he has no sorrow to it. You gotta make a decision because you're still a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve. And so your flesh is gonna go, I don't know if I wanna listen to my old man. I don't know if I wanna listen to wisdom. I think I like my own knowledge. And there's a way that seems right to you. It's gonna lead to death and you can either learn it leads to death through your own choices and your own experiences or you can go and look at people who already rebelled against God and walk by their splat and go, I think I will Take the vineyard of the man that was diligent. And sowed in the spring and reaped in the harvest and planted the right things and built up walls of protection and followed a wise father who called them to work and not be lazy and give themselves over to their flesh. See, Proverbs is just a loving father trying to help you and we all need to learn. We all need to learn. There's a guy named John Wesley who was a great um, leader and a godly man and um, he studied, he disciplined himself to learn as much as he could. And somebody wrote him a letter one time and said, the Lord told me to tell you that he doesn't need all of your learning. And so Wesley got that letter and he wrote back, okay? And he said this, he goes, um, thank you, sir. I got your letter, though it was superfluous, meaning it was unnecessary. I know the Lord doesn't need my learning. But I wanna let you know, the Lord has not told me to say this. I say this on my own responsibility. The Lord doesn't need your ignorance either. That's a fact. 
but you need to learn. See, the glory of young men, this is another proverb. Proverbs 20, verse 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. And, and when you're strong, you can kind of jump off taller things than you should and kind of bounce back. And the glory of young men is their strength. The glory of young women is their strength. But the glory of old men, it says, is their gray hair, which I'm increasingly seeing is mine. <laughs> but it means I haven't ruined my life. That I'm around to have hair that turns gray. And I've lived a life that has largely been defined by wisdom. And underneath that graying hair is a life that has more joy and less scars. And the Lord is my strength that has kept me from ruining my vineyard. And your soul is a field. And right now, you see, you gotta have the strength of early spring, and so you just can be a little lazy and it doesn't look like it's a problem. But let me just tell you something. It's a problem. Those exercise habits, those eating habits, those dating habits, those thinking habits, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, Reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. And you don't want thorns, thistles, and broken walls. Uh, I was speaking at a deal in Laguna Beach, which is not a bad place to say yes to speak, um, last week. And I was there, and one of the guys that I was dealing with, I'm going to call him Ken. It wasn't his name, but Ken and I got in a conversation. He was there. He just got a new job. And I just go, man, Ken, tell me what's going on. And so he and I were just interacting while I was there. Uh, he was actually serving me and taking care of me. And I said, hey, Ken, let me ask you a question, man. So as we talked a little bit more, and man, this guy, you could tell he was just, he was flying high. He had made a lot of money in the oil fields, and now he was out in California, and he was doing well. He was living in Laguna, had a new job on the beach. And I go, so man, tell me about your belief. What do you believe? You, you know, you, you have a faith? And he said, well, he goes, I'm spiritual. You know, I love being in the ocean, man. When I'm in the ocean, I'm one with God, right? When I'm walking out there in nature, I just feel good, man. My, my girlfriend and I were in love, and I just say, hey, Kevin, here's the deal, bro. You, you, you do know that that's not the way it's always going to be. Sometimes that ocean swells up. Sometimes there's an undertow that sucks you out. Sometimes there's sharks in there that eat you. Sometimes you get old and you can't swim. That girlfriend you're sleeping with where everything's going well, sometimes that doesn't leave. You do know that it's not always your first two weeks in California where you're spending your money sleeping with your girlfriend, hanging out in the ocean. You do know things are going to change. What are you going to do with your spiritual joy then? What are you going to do when some of this behavior is no longer bringing the blessing that it is now? And, and it, he was a really humble guy. He didn't say, I'll deal with that when it happens. It just made him stop and think. And I just let me just ask you a question. Do you know the God that, 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 you, know, that you say when you're in the ocean, you enjoy it? The God that made you made that ocean. He wants you to enjoy it. You know the God that made that girl? He wants you to enjoy her. You know the God that made you right now at this age and young? He wants you to enjoy it. But I'm going to tell you that right now, the way you're running your life is not going to lead to the life that you want. And so I'm just going to ask you to start thinking about what you're sowing in your life because here's what you need to know. Even if it never turns you on this life, it's appointed for this, for men to die once and after this comes judgment. What's your plan when judgment comes? And then I just said, has anybody ever told you what the central message of the scripture is. Because God's not just here to give you your best life now. God is here to rescue you from a life that doesn't want to deal with tomorrow. He doesn't want stone walls to start to crumble and he doesn't want thistles to grow and metals to inhabit. He wants blessing for you. But to do that, you've got to be connected to him and sin keeps you from him. And so I just asked him, has anybody ever told you what the central message of the Bible is? He didn't have any clue. Kind of threw out some churchy ideas that God wants this, God wants that. And I just asked him, I said, can I just tell you what God wants? And I told him a story. That God loves the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam. He's not mad at them. And there's a way that seems right to them, but it leads to death. And it doesn't lead to it right away, which is what makes the wrong way seem so deceptive. But God wants you to have a way back. He wants that relationship with that girl to work. He wants that ocean and you not to be something you worship, but something that you enjoy. Your soul is a field. Pay attention to it. Eventually, gang, who you are in private will always show up and affect the way that you are seen in public. It always happens that way. As I read this, I just 
learned for myself, not only that experience is a good teacher, that a lot of damage can be done in a little time, that my soul is like a field and I gotta pay attention to it and walk around and I gotta not sow to my flesh because when I sow to my flesh, I reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap life indeed. I also learned this, that procrastination today will result in unsolicited, unwanted, unexpected, and often unavoidable consequences. That's that little piece I already told you, right? Your, your poverty will come like a robber and your want like an armed man. Have you ever been there where you're just defenseless against this life and you always do this? You go, how did I get here? How did I get here? And this is it. This is Proverbs chapter 19, verses two and three. It says this. It's not good for a man or a woman to be without knowledge. The foolishness, or it says, he who makes haste with his feet errs, okay? In other words, the one who just hurries his footsteps a certain direction. You're going to make mistakes. you got to stop and you got to think. Listen to what happens, though, when you make mistakes. Verse 3, the foolishness of man subverts or ruins his way. And then what do we all do? Right? You ever been here? When you just haven't done what you know you should do, or you haven't done what God says is the way to life? God, how could this happen to me? How did I get here? And then we usually start cutting deals with God. God, get me out of this this one time, and I swear I'll never do it again. God is gracious, right? God is gracious. He doesn't erase always the consequences, but he lets you stop the life of destruction when you start to look to him. But procrastination is not the path, you know, towards prosperity. Someday, when you say that, oh, someday I'm gonna change. Someday is not a day of the week. It never gets here. Have you noticed that? Can I just tell you something? The devil doesn't care how much you pray. The devil doesn't care how much you study your Bible. The devil doesn't care how much you choose to love God and follow him as long as you don't do it today. He loves when you say, I'm gonna get serious with God one day. I'm gonna do my work and really one day figure out if God is good. I'm gonna one day, I'm gonna read my Bible. One day, one day my relationships are gonna be different. One day I'm not gonna give myself away because it seems right to me. He loves when you talk like that. But the truth is that today is the father of tomorrow. Tomorrow is the road to despair. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. When you keep putting it off, I mean, procrastination is the devil's Prozac. It makes you feel better that eventually you'll feel better. But the scripture just exhorts us to be about it. So many of us say, man, I'd love, I'd give anything to have a life like that. What we mean is I'd love to be able to do whatever I want and wake up tomorrow and my life has a field that's overgrown with prosperity, that's secure, and that is wrapped around strength and dignity as my clothing, nobility and wholeness and purity and strength and kindness. And that's not how you get that life, by just wanting it. I, I think the last time I was with you guys, I, I gave you this little syllogism, right? And I think I might have said it wrong, but here, here's, here's three questions I'd love to ask people. I'll do it again. Let's see if I can get it right this time. And it said, hey, do you want a life filled with blessing? Do you, do you want a life that is, would be defined as that's a godly life? That's a rich life. That's a life that, that is going to have prosperity and not, not just in terms of wealth and health, because you may not be wealthy and healthy. You might have cancer and die, but have you ever seen people with cancer that have joy and still sing? You ever seen people that are single? deep into their 40s, that have more security than a woman who's been in and out of relationships continually? Do you, do you want to be a godly man? Do you want to be a godly woman, yes or no? Ask, ask yourself that question. Okay? And now here's the second question. Does God want you to be a godly man or a woman? Does God want you to be a godly man or a woman? And we think, I think so, because God loves me, and when I'm a godly man, it's, gonna, it's a life that leads to um, uh, a blessing, and he has no sorrow to it. Then here's the third question. Are you a godly man, and are you a godly woman? And I'm going to tell you, if you answer that third question, no, and you answer the first question, yes, you lied to yourself on the very first question. Because God wants you to be a godly man or a godly woman, and you would be a godly man or a godly woman if you wanted to be. And the reason you're not is because you're hiding behind that lie that yet tomorrow I think I'm gonna do the things that will make my life the life that is reconciled to God, forgiven for my sin because of what Jesus has done. And any God that would reconcile to me, to him, and pull me out of judgment and take me out of death and into life is a God worth following and knowing. And now dignity and honor and strength and nobility will be my clothing. And I will not live a life of 
malice and hatred and hateful envy. I will, by the grace of God, sow into my life the things of the spirit and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control will be the fruit of that. Do you want to be a godly man or woman? Because you can be. This is Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. See, the sluggard doesn't want a field that has walls that are broken down and thistles that cover it and nestles that are everywhere. The sluggard wants to eat. The sluggard wants a good life, but he doesn't do what he needs to do to get it. He doesn't walk with God and follow the law of the harvest. But the soul of the diligent, that's the soul that is made fat. And Jesus says, come, come. Are you hungry? If anyone hears my voice, knocks on the door, I will open the door, and he will come in with me and dine with me. But you got to knock. you got to say, hey, I'm sick of living outside the counsel of God. I'm sick of living apart from you, God, the one who cares for me and blesses me. So here's what you need to do. We're just going to end with this. Here's a statement. I want you to take it just a second. This is what you do when you read your Bible. I just made some observations. You can do that. Stop and go, what's that there for? What can I learn? I can learn that I can learn from other people. I don't want that life. I see that his life got that way a little at a time. You know what? My soul is a lot like that guy's vineyard. Experience, I could learn that that's a bad life by doing it myself, or I could learn from his life. And so here's what I want you to do before you shut your Bible tonight. I just want you to answer this question. To avoid potential... Ruin, well, maybe further ruin. To avoid potential or further ruin in my vineyard, the vineyard that is my life, today, I will. Today I will, and and plug it in, today. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not next week will I I come up front and say, man, would you help me? Would you start me to put this life together? Because I think I've made one decision, another decision, and I'm not far from, from poverty and soul despair and anxiety ruling my life like a robber. I don't even know how I got here. And I'm angry at God, but I find out that maybe it's not God's fault. Maybe it's because I just lived the life of a sluggard and did what I wanted to do instead of living a diligent life of discipline. And I don't want that to be my destiny. And you're gonna find a lot of grace here, man, because a lot of us, we didn't grow up. A lot of us didn't grow up in homes with dads who taught us about the goodness of God. And we had to be reparented and we had to be rescued and somebody had to show me who God was and I had to see the wonders of grace and I had to move towards him and be rescued. And so I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread and I'm saying, let's go. The only power we have over our past is purity in the presence. There's a cross that will deliver us from judgment and then there's a king that will lead us in the way. And I say to you, come. In order to prevent or avoid potential or further ruin in the vineyard that is my life, today I will. I will at least go, hey, what's the central message of the Bible? Who is Jesus? What's the big deal about the resurrection? What's this thing called community? How do I study my Bible? Is there a place I can learn to read it, Todd, and do what you did in this little 30, 45 minutes we had together tonight? I want to learn to feed myself. Can I do that? Today I will. Step number one is just say, God, I've avoided you because I've made you to be something you're apparently not. You're a loving father. I didn't have a loving father. I put on you the attributes that I saw in my dad. I don't want the life that my dad created for me, for my kids. So can you make me a man? Can you make me a woman? Can you teach me how to have relationships that work? Today's the day. God loves you. That's why I love being with you, because I love when 20-year-olds run with Jesus, because you're going to get to enjoy God for decades and be a source of grace to others. God is a young man's God. Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. When do we read that to most people? When does Psalm 23 get pulled out most of the time? What's the answer? Funerals, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Eventually, even though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Let me just tell you something. David did not write that song on his deathbed. David wrote that song when he was younger than you, fighting the terrors of youth. David wrote that psalm when he was in his late teens, early 20s, before he was a king, while he was still out in the fields just working, being left When the prophet came to anoint the new king, his dad didn't even think enough about him to come. And David said, I don't care. I'm where I'm supposed to be. 
doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and my God loves me, and he will lead me to pleasant places, and he will fill my cup, and I will not forsake him. Psalm 23 is a young person's psalm, and this is a young person's God. Enjoy him now. I promise you there's nothing on Lower Greenville that can offer you what God offers you. Starting with grace and forgiveness and redemption. I, when I was your age, met Jesus. And I am 30 years ahead of you, and I'm just telling you, it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I delight myself in the wife of my youth. My kids and I have a great relationship. My community largely thinks I'm a blessing. (laughs) And I'm just telling you guys, I've gone through cancer, I've gone through despair, I've gone through dysfunctional family relationships with God, and he is good. The wisest men that ever lived wrapped up, the one who wrote Proverbs, didn't live with understanding, lacked wisdom, and paid a deep price. Solomon became this fool. And the last stroke of his pen was not Psalm 23, it was Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and this is what he says, verse one, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't be a fool like me. Don't be the sluggard, and don't let your vineyard be overgrown with thistles and the stone wall of God's word be broken down. Before the evil years come and the days draw near when you say I have no delight in them, because in verses two through 12, he describes aging and graying hair and teeth that fall out and ears they can't see and eyes that grow dim and backs that are crooked and feet that are weep, weak and, and, and feeble and legs that can't jump. No, you learn to love God when you're young and you can run with him and enjoy him in that ocean and with the wife of your youth so that you have decades together of blessing and prosperity. Verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, which means just know you don't want to miss a single part of his goodness to you. Keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. The life which you're living in private right now is going to be very quickly dragged into public relationships that you're going to live for decades to come. And God loves you. And so walk with me by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of those that aren't tending to their soul. Maybe it's yours And so today's the day of salvation. Come home to your king. Let him pull the weeds of sin. And let him sow the spirit of fruit of righteousness in your life. Father, I pray for my friends that they would just learn to love the wisdom and the truth that's in your word, the way your grace let me, so that they can begin to walk with you, first of all, that they can begin to, to throw themselves at you in their, in their despair and their sin and their sowing rebellion, just like I did, and they can find forgiveness at the cross, just like I did. And when seeing that you're a God that demonstrates his love for us, and while we're still sinners, that they could then go, what kind of God is this that he would love me and give his life for me that they would then begin to want to run with you and run to you and be around your people that will encourage them day after day so their life is not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, I pray that tonight in this room and all across the internet that's listening, there would be people that just go, Lord, thank you. I'm gonna be one of the wise that learns from fools, maybe the fools of my own life. And my heart's not gonna rage against you My heart in its brokenness is gonna run to you and find forgiveness. And maybe for the folks that already know you, they're gonna run that much more. And they're gonna say, Father, thank you that your desire for me to be a godly son of Adam or a godly daughter of Eve is always gonna be greater than my own desire. So Lord, draw me to you. Don't let me miss who you are. Let me trust in you. Let me know the blessing of your way and take away the sorrow of my sluggard, rebellious soul. Be gracious to my friends. Show them who you are, Father. In Jesus' name.